Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Um, me and Owen, we are parts of the customer service team here at Seek Outside. Um, and part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast was to make our job a little bit easier, I think. Um, we've been getting a lot of questions on Instagram, on Facebook about anything under the sun from when we're getting DCF fabric back uh, to if we have any new models of tents coming out uh, to, you know, what a good unit to go to for elk in Colorado is. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to answer the first two, not going to answer the second one or the third one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, so basically last week we asked um, our followers on social media to reach out to us with any questions that they may have had. Um, and so today we're just going to, I think we got eight questions from uh, followers on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and we are going to try to do this podcast, maybe monthly, maybe bi-monthly, something like that, um, where we, we take people's questions from social media and answer them on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, this is a question that we get a lot, um, and I think it's very important with the floorless tents uh, because condensation does come up a lot with them. Uh, so this question is from, on Instagram, his name is Steve underscore Hunts, and um, the question is, how often is condensation an issue? Well, first off, um, condensation can be an issue in any tent. It isn't just relegated to floorless single wall tents. It can happen in rooftop tents, as Owen can attest to. Definitely. It can happen in full on double wall tents. It all just depends on a mix of conditions. Um, we had family camping in our double wall tents when you guys were much younger and stuff like that. So with teepees and floorless teepees or floorless shelters. It really depends, and a lot of it depends on how you set it up. Like uh, with, say, a Cimarron. Uh, Cimarron, if it is lifted, like in the light version a little bit, with a little bit of an air gap, condensation is probably going to occur far less frequently. Same with, say, Eolus, Silex-style tents as well. Um, but... There's going to be some conditions where condensation is going to be practically unavoidable no matter what tent you're in. Now, if you take a tent, like say the same Cimarron, and you stake it down to the ground and close up all the vents and everything, you're going to be far more prone to condensation. So there, there's a technique component, um, and there's a component that is based on conditions and location. For me, condensation is not an issue very often. Um, I'll preface that by saying that when it's below freezing, I'll have frost on a shelter almost every night. But that isn't really, I just knock it off, you know, and shake out my sleeping bag and go on about my day, you know, and it's, it's not a big deal. Um, I would say there's times, you and I, when we went out years ago in the West Elks in the spring, and 
We knew that it said there was a potential for flash flooding and severe rain events, but we went out anyway, and we got four or five miles in, and we set up our tent on a mud bog, um, and it rained for 40 hours straight, and we had a lab that kept jumping in the creek and then coming back in our tent, and then he would have all the smoke coming, or moisture coming off of him when he'd come in there. Yeah, we had so much condensation in that tent. It was it was insane. But I mean, at the same time, forty hours of straight rain, we're in a bog. You know, it was supposed to be literally a extreme rain event, potential flood event. We went out, you know, I mean a little bit of stupidness on our part. Um, but yeah, it it can happen. It can happen bad. But I don't think I don't think any tent would have truly avoided it in those conditions. And I and I would say, I mean, <clears throat> I generally find myself when I'm going out in a TP style shelter that I find the most condensation in the spring and the fall when it's 75 degrees in the day and 30 degrees at night. You know, you get that huge, massive heating and cooling and it can get bad then but you know honestly out here in the dry environments of the western slope of Colorado we're generally pretty pretty all right I've never had I I don't think I ever used a liner until I started car camping <laughs> so I never I never had bad enough of an issue where I was like well I, I should probably need a liner for this I know? think you used one a couple times with your mom yep yep um because she liked a liner because she didn't like getting her hair wet um but, but it's it, it's generally minimal i yeah. mean I've, I've never i've never had a situation where it's been bad enough where i've been upset about it. i mean i've been in rooftop tents i mean that's something sealed off the ground all the way off the ground and they condensate like crazy uh you know if it's if it's wet outside you just aren't going to avoid it no matter what but um yeah, I, I don't think it's a huge issue, and liners really do solve it for the most there, part. There was a time we were bear hunting over off of the Grand Mesa, and Brendan with, was with us. Oh, yep. And it had rained pretty consistently for five days, and we set up on a very wet location. It was about the only w location we could find, and we had really – I wished we had liners that night. But for the most part – um. There's been very seldom. I don't. I don't think I've really ever used a liner in Colorado, or or if I have, it's it's been in a car camping situation more than yeah. anything. So in situations like that, is a floor <clears throat> or a nest uh, going to be a good option because you're limiting that surface area that is that may have water on the ground and you're trapping that where it is. In the case of the bear hunt that we were doing with Brendan, man, if we'd have just stuck a big old tarp on the yep. ground and just covered the whole thing up it would have really helped a lot yeah uh, because we were at the end of the rain cycle but it had rained really hard for like five days yeah that that and good airflow i mean yeah i went out with my buddy dylan we went on a mountain biking trip up to bc and we set up that day they'd been getting a ton of rain a ton of rain we set up that day super wet ground and Oh boy, we wish we had a liner. <laughs> we were sitting there, and, and every day, you know, we'd wake up with some with some condensation, come back in the middle of the day, it'd be dry in there, mm -hmm. and then by the night came again, it would all be cold, and we were, it'd be cold and condensated, camping right next to a river, 
It just depends on the situation you set yourself yeah. up Now, for. a lot of times in a case like that, also, like, if you ran a stove in there one night. Dry it uh, out. It would dry it out. I mean, a lot of times condensation is worse the first night of camp. So when you run a stove or if you dry it out, or even if it's just sunny that day and sun comes down on your tent and you have good ventilation outside of it, like yep. you prop the zipper open or something, it'll allow a lot of that moisture to get out and severely reduce it. Cool. Um, while we're on the topic of liners, um, we've had a few questions. Um, I think some people have some confusion about the difference between a nest and a liner. Uh, do I need both of them? Uh, which one would you rather have in certain circumstances? Could you guys kind of elaborate on that a little bit? I take a nest over a liner because a nest provides most of what a liner does, but a liner doesn't provide what a nest does. Now, I mean, that's for most cases, like if I'm, like, choosing one or the other. Um, in the winter, a liner is probably my preference if I'm choosing one or the other because on snow, I'm going to get artistic with it probably um, or just camp on the snow or put a ground sheet down. Um, and so the liner gives you that second wall and really provide really minimizes the frost that builds up um the nest provides a floor and walls all around it doesn't necessarily always provide a dwr wall but if you have your nest relatively taut the tension of it does a pretty good job of keeping water off and you're probably not going to see much moisture and there is a thing with condensation um seems people are highly paranoid about it but just some old trip i mean a we have a blog post on condensation maybe we should share it it's written several years ago but it's nothing's changed scientifically yeah. in, in the world of condensation um we can link that in the youtube <coughs> video for people who want to yeah. watch that yep. or yeah or read that that would be great um but i mean another trick is to take a little bandana wipe down the walls um, that's a lightweight, you know, you wake up and you just wipe it down a little bit if it bothers you. Um, but usually, usually a stove or similar or a little bit of airflow, like last year we had zero condensation. We were oh, pitched yeah. off the ground a little bit. We didn't really have a problem with breeze because we just kind of built a little wall around us, you know. A little dirt wall, kind of. We, yeah. we used some logs. It was like. Log wall. Yeah. yeah it was super, just, super good. And, nice. I, and I did kind of the same thing the year before with snow. Um, I just built a little snow wall around. Um, so, you know, so back to liner versus nest. Um, a nest provides most of what a liner would do. So if you're like, I want to get one or the other, I would get a nest myself. Um, however, I would say a liner is better for winter. Uh, liner is better for floorless camping in in really rainy locations, um, northwest, yep. um, southeast Alaska, those kind of coastal locations. Um, but other than that, the nest is going to be yeah the better option. Then well, you then get bug protection, snake protection, critter protection. Yep. I mean, the nest is a little bit heavier as well. That's something yeah. I always take in consideration, but the the liners will be a little bit lighter. 
mm-hmm. but the nest is kind of a multi-purpose thing you know where it will protect you from some condensation and, and give you a floor as well which mm-hmm. can prevent some condensation so. and, and also with a nest depending on the shelter i want everyone and their mom knows our most popular shelter is the cimarron you know i mean that's that's no secret yeah um you know, if it is a secret, we've been doing a really poor job telling people how many Cimarrons we sell. Um, but, like, if you take, say, a Cimarron and a half nest, you can really cut off condensation a lot and keep yourself free from breeze yep. and stuff by you have the nest in there, and with that nest, you've now cut down the breeze that you're going to feel directly on you. So you raise up the shelter three or four inches off the ground or two inches even yep. and you're going to severely reduce the condensation to go along with it and you get that wind protection from the bathtub floor that comes up on the, yeah, the bathtub and the screen and you know people think well screen allows wind in well it does but it blocks 70 percent yeah. yeah you know yeah. sweet um all right let's move on to cleaning um I know we're all kind of prepping for Alaska. We're making sure that our tents are good to go. Um, we had a question from an Instagram uh, follower. Uh, Put the click is her, her tag there. Um, her question was, what is the best way to clean sand and dirt off of a tent? What do you guys do? Hi. Go ahead. No, oh, you go ahead. Um... I put mine in a front-loading wash machine, one without an agitator. Don't put it in an agitator machine because occasionally in an agitator machine, it can get caught up a little bit and damage stuff. But I put it in a front-loader, no detergent or anything, just short cycle, and then hang it up outside. Um, Short of that, you can hang it, spray it off pretty well um, with a hose. Um, It's going to do quite a bit of it. What I did was I took my eight man out to Moab and I used it the first time out there. So the sand stuck to it like crazy. Um, what I did was I set it up in the yard and took a nice rag out to it and just sprayed, scrub, spray, scrub, just over and over again. Got most of the stuff out there, but I've heard really good success with the wool light, just a little bit of wool light on there, you know, like a sponge or rag on there. That's That'll get your tent real good and clean. Definitely cleaned out the zippers. Make sure the sand doesn't ruin those. So yeah. yeah. Uh, what I've done, and this is dangerous because if you're living with somebody else, you might get in trouble. <laughs> take it, take it from me. Uh, but I've just taken my Cimarron, uh, and I actually took mine out to Moab, and you know all that red dirt, it just gets stuck on there. Yep. I just put it in the bathtub, filled it up with warm, warm water, let it let it soak there for, you know. 25 minutes or so uh kind of give it a little you know make sure all the edges are are being touched and i mean most of that dirt came off but you got to clean the bathtub afterward that's that's blame it on the dog say the dog and and you didn't even put it in the bathtub the dog ran in there turned the water on yeah i got more trouble cleaning my tent than i would have if i gave my dog a bath i don't know about that uh Nice. Yeah, that's that's a that's a popular one because especially out west here, you know, with the dryness, I feel like it's pretty easy for your tent to get get yeah, dirt it on is. it. And they're used in a lot of 
river trips. I mean, mm -hmm. our stuff's used in the Grand Canyon a lot. Um, Escalante, a lot of the <coughs> premium pack rafting rivers, you'll see very similar stuff to ours or ours on it. So, yeah. yeah. I think I think one of the one of the most important things to clean, if you don't mind a little sand on your tent, still get in there and clean up those zippers a little bit. I mean, yeah, yeah. we use a super high quality zipper, but any zipper is is uh, prone to failure with enough dirt in it. So. Yeah, for sure. All right, we got a couple questions relating to DST tarps. So the first one is from Brave West Outdoors. Um, and this one is regarding the DST tarp, and I know there's a bunch of ways to pitch it. Um, but he says, what is the ideal number of stakes and guy outlines to take with a DST tarp? Who wants to handle this one? You got it. Oh, me, me. <laughs> um, I don't think there is an ideal number um, because it depends on how you plan to deploy the DST. Okay. Some people may just pitch it is a diamond shelter tarp, right? And hang it off a tree. And in that case, you really can get by with like three stakes and a little bit of cordage. Um, if you plan on doing other pitches, it, uh, it depends. I mean, you might need six stakes to execute like a fairly good A-frame, you know, and two things, probably four things of cordage, six things, you know, four on the corners, two on each end or one on each end so it really kind of depends i think that you know with a tarp as flexible as the dst um you can either do yourself a thing and do yourself a favor and cut six to eight foot pieces of cordage and carry x amount of them and then carry x amount of stakes or you can just be really ready to kind of bushcraft it and have yourself a 50-foot hank of cordage and cut some stakes out of, you know, sticks that you see in the woods. Um, it's, it's super, there's a million ways to do it. You know, yeah. there's threads online of all the different ways you can pitch a DST. Um, you can use it as an awning on a bigger shelter, like an eight-man. So there really isn't a right way and a wrong way on it. You can even pitch it kind of like a pyramid tent, you know, yep. and um, pitching it kind of like a pyramid tent, it's going to take probably six stakes and some short things of cordage. It, it all just depends. Yeah. Yep. Do you have a favorite way to pitch it? Do you have a way that you've found like, oh, this is – I get the most use out of this way to pitch it. Like, out of all your trips, this is the, the one pitch, whether it's a diamond pitch, A-frame. Um, I mostly carry the DST as a utility piece. Mm. Um, when I've used the DST alone as a shelter, I've used the diamond um, just because I think, you know, we have big fir trees plentiful around. <laughs> I find a nice spot under a big fir tree. I have pretty good protection. It's just pretty nice. But for strictly speaking, if I'm planning to set stuff up as in just a shelter, I prefer to go with something that's a little more point product, like, like the Eolus or Silex. You know, that boom, boom, I put in four stakes, pop in two poles, and it's good to go. 
I don't necessarily want to overthink it too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the next one uh, was from uh, Facebook, uh, Barack. Uh, she wrote in and said, which nest is best under a DST tarp? Which nest is best? Which nest is best? Um, first, I think um, about any of them that will fit will work. So mm. the best nest is probably the nest that works with whatever else you have. However, I think our best nest is actually the Eolus nest. Um, and it will fit under there. I think that's our, as far as weight and stuff, yeah. I think that that's the nicest nest. Comfy for two. Mm-hmm. Roomy. Roomy. Nice. Um, another question. Uh, this is just a general question that a lot of people ask in. We have a bunch of different nest options. Um, you know, probably the Cimarron Redcliffe half nest is the most popular one that I hear people ask about. And a common question is, can you fit two half nests in the Redcliffe? And if so, how can you do it? Uh, I know we kind of try not to recommend it because there's not much space getting in between there. It kind of makes things difficult. But, you know, you read stuff online. People do do it. Do do. You said do do. Do do. Um, (laughs) Um... No, you certainly can in a red cliff. Um, it's going to leave literally about three feet of space. Um, where there's a problem is if you are in the, the standard red cliff, the standard two-door, and you want to run a stove off as well with the two, yep. the stove is going to be kind of close to one of the nests unless you kind of move it and tilt the pipe a little bit. If you're using the... Redcliffe light, which has the stove located behind and yep. where the other door would have been, then you can totally do it. You maybe need to exercise just a little bit of caution opening and stuff, but it really should be, it shouldn't be super difficult to see what kind of, it's no more difficult than the wood stove in my house. I exercise yep. caution when I'm within two feet of it, you know, like. Yep. Don't don't drink too much liquor and dance. And go play around yeah, the wood go stove. Go play around the wood stove. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the key to setting up the the red cliff with two nests. Don't just don't drink too much liquor and it'll yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Tough thing when you're camping though, man. That's, that's yeah, don't that. attempt to do somersaults next to the wood stove. Yeah. 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 Probably shouldn't do that in in most tents. <laughs> Unless you got a sixteen man, yeah. then then you can do yeah, a full sixteen man. You can just. Have a party in there, really. Yeah. yeah. Do one of those like full gymnastic floor <laughs> routines. <laughs> yeah. have, a, have a climbing wall up in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hook it up. <laughs> um, cool. These are some good questions here. Uh, just want to say at any point, if you guys want to post questions on Instagram, you can comment on any of our Instagram posts or Facebook posts with your questions. Of course, call us um, if you'd like to have your questions answered on the podcast. Uh, you can always write into podcast at seekoutside.com. Just a little note there. Or just go ahead and send us a direct message. Uh, say say you'd yep. like your stuff answered on the podcast or I can answer, or somebody can answer their, your question there directly for you. So, Yeah. yeah. So, Owen, what's, uh, what's the most common DM that you get? Honestly, lately, it has been a lot about when we will have DCF back. That's the next question. 
Chris Peterson 10 from Instagram. He asked, when will we see DCF fabric back in action? Well, <clears throat> I can say for a fact we'll have some more DCF shelters because we have some DCF. Um, we're filling orders of nylon. We're reducing our lead times, working on that. It's our busy time of year. Um, so this fall there will be some, expect October, November time frame when we slow down a little bit. As far as when we will see regular production of DCF tents, I don't know. Might be never. Um, you know, Dyneema was, you know, they moved their lead times to 2022 back early this year when I tried to place another order. Um, and they doubled their minimum. And I asked if there was some place I could get it in the interim. Um, they said all their extra was going to this one place. And I've been working with that other place and they still haven't gotten any extra. Hmm. So, you know, uh, frankly can't, can't work on a 18 month fabric lead time and that's maybe me being uh, a little bit over sarcastic or something but you know I mean they were talking nine ten months just straight up from from our order you know which was gonna put it out a year yeah you know yeah. and <laughs> you know put products out a year at a minimum yeah and well, people really seem to want something like that back. You know, the the um, just the ultra light version. I think it's it's really cool fabric. Do we have any any alternatives that we've been looking into? We have a couple things that we are going to build a couple testers from. Um, we have not built the testers yet, um, just simply because we were so far behind for for so long. Um, now we're starting to get caught up to where things can, can start to roll again here pretty soon, but I'm going to be gone for the bulk of August. So there probably won't be a lot happening there. And then when I get back, things will probably start to roll and we'll start to evaluate things going into the fall. But I don't think, I mean, I think it is a pretty fantastic fabric in in areas where you use its strength um you know but it has it has to be available yeah. you know um we can't just have it be some sort of vapor mysterious un unobtainable fabric on our website unobtainium yeah unobtainium um now my personal feeling is i would love to continue to make Cimarron and smaller shelter sizes out of it. I would I would love it. Um we'll see. It has to work from a business perspective. Yeah. You know, if we were entirely in the Dyneema fabric business, we would be out of business this year. Yeah. On on their lead times. Yeah. I think six to eight weeks is decent. You can wait that long, but uh twelve months. 
gets a little long. I think, I think <laughs> some people might might grow antsy with that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, and I don't know if we can talk about this, but do we have any new models coming up this year? This this question was from uh, Brian Brow on Instagram. I'm, I'm Is there sure. any new models that we can talk about? I'm sure everybody would love to see the one I'm looking at right now. I think they're going to have to wait, though. Stay tuned, yeah. Yeah. Um... I seriously doubt you will see anything new in 2021. Um, early 2022, there is definitely some stuff we hope to have. Um, and, and stuff you stuff you're gonna like. Yeah, mm. and we hope to have some new pack stuff too. Um, we have some pack stuff in testing, not necessarily bags either. Um, and I don't think. Even, you know, it's not like a new suspension or anything, just new materials in there that would be a level up from anything we've offered thus far. And I know that we offer a really high-level pack fabric, um, yeah. premium fabric. Well, we have one that's we've been working with that is potentially better. Even better, the you unicorn know? fabric. Yep, the wow. unicorn. Yeah. Isn't that tent over there such a great-looking tent? Yeah, I bet everyone would wish they could see it. Oh man! <laughs> hey, maybe some maybe some people will get lucky enough to catch some one of these people that are testing these packs out in the field. Yeah, they'll get a little a little sneak peek on it. I know one is on a. I know one of them is on a stone sheep hunt. I know one has been doing some trips around Kodiak and a Fognac Island. I know I know there's a few out there. Um. So, and. Yeah, you know, one of the tents, there was a slight blurb on our Facebook group or a slight, you know, yeah, uh, a slight little thing, but it wasn't specific to that tent. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, a bunch of teasers out there. Yeah. Go and find it. It's like playing Clue. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should turn it into <laughs> a game, Clue. a new yeah. product just, game. Just everybody answer in. Who is using this? Yeah. <laughs> what have you seen differently in the last... <laughs> You see a crazy-looking pack fabric that makes everybody hike faster than you. You'll know. You'll know <laughs> yeah, it's from right. Seek Outside. Uh, cool. Uh, let's transition here a little bit to stoves. That's another big um, topic of, you know, there's so many levels to it, so many questions, so many different stoves. What are the? What's the difference there? Um, this one kind of relates to the West currently, and it's a common question that we get in customer service a lot. Um, and I think it comes from a good place of people wanting to be safe with their stoves. Uh, you know, nobody wants to be the guy that starts a wildfire. Yeah. Um, so Dirt Junkie, Dirt underscore Junkie 208 from Instagram asked, uh, which is safer for fire prevention, metal ring or titanium wood stove? And I think he means uh, during a fire ban and maybe like in a campground or something like yeah. that. Um, our stoves are generally considered fine for stage one, as long as you're running them with the spark arrestor mm. in it. So now that being said, <sighs> that, that being said, the, they're, 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 they're totally safe. You're fine to use one. And I mean, check your local regs, but all the regs I've checked, is they're fine under stage one. But that being said, there's also some sensitivity when everything is burning down 
around you to going out and starting a fire. Um, It seems to, even if you're entirely correct in what you're doing, it seems that you could definitely get someone's cackles up if they're they smell a little smoke and are like what are these people doing you know you know so you you have to be prepared for that now in a campground um you'd be more likely to have an issue like that out wildland camping i don't think you would but not everyone's informed you know um so it's good to be cognizant of that yeah and and if people aren't informed and they come at kind of with their cackles up or bristly maybe um don't bristle back just 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 give them the facts and be nice and you know because i mean i live in an area that i look on the hillsides and we have a lot of dead pine trees that we didn't used to have up there and the hills around my my house and i definitely think more about fire now than I did 10 or 15 years ago and mm-hmm. I'm definitely more sensitive to if someone down the street starts a bonfire in a in a fire ban you know yeah. I'm like whoa what are you doing yeah you know, a little more quick to judge yeah a little more yeah. quick to judge because I know how quickly it could go up yeah. around my residence you know I've, I've, I've been in areas that have had big burns in recent years and are pretty quick to put a fire ban on even if you're sitting around and it's all wet definitely uh some of the locals and people will get all upset so just always check your local regs and make sure what you're doing is right and yeah always be respectful so yeah i I know like even just on our local facebook groups around my house right people i i think the best term would be people are real bristly when it comes when it comes to that topic oh yeah could be their house that you know that goes down in the in the flames exactly it's understandable exactly so i mean people especially more in recent years i mean didn't used to be that much of an issue but now it's like whoa 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 you know yeah i feel like last year was a big wake-up call for colorado i mean we're doing really great in the west right now and we've gotten a lot of rain but we hardly have any fires right now we don't have the the burners that we had last year and knock i think on, knock on some yeah sort knock of wood. on it. there were there were two fires that started outside of near the town i live on on the cliffs outside of it right before monsoon like the very first real day of monsoon lightning strikes started two fires on each side of town I mean, yeah, it was uh, like that's, that's, oh, close. Oh, that's a recipe yeah, that's, for disaster. That's getting a little too close to home, but yeah. the rain started coming and basically snuffed them out, which was awesome. But I yep. mean, the so I, I I'm bristly myself when it mm. comes to that topic. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm like, you know, I know my rights with running my wood stove and all of that and i know my rights on all of that and i will do it if i need or desire or or whatever but man if a little flame gets a little bit out of hand somewhere in my neck of the woods i'm 
I'm on it pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I could guarantee that I go like this, Facebook, and there'll be like 22 posts on, yeah, on yeah, the exactly. thing from locals, you know, telling you everything that's going on about it. We all are. Yeah. You know. So I think the main thing is, you know, check your regs. Be careful. But we, we do, yeah, we do have a lot, you know, with the drought in the West right now, you just got to be extra careful. Um, is there any types of wood that, you know, you hear like, you know, certain pine uh, with that bark, it can be super poppy, create more mm-hmm. ash, more ember. Pitchy woods are real bad about that. Um, pinion is probably notoriously bad on it. Um, certain pines. The funny thing is I use that pitchy stuff a lot of times to start fires. Um, but, I mean, probably your cleanest burn is good old aspen. And with all our droughts, we have plenty of dead aspen around, too. It's not hard to find. Yeah. So that you you guys would probably consider that your favorite wood to burn, aspen. If you had to choose any wood in the world to start the rest <laughs> of your fires with. Oh, no, I would choose gamble oak. Gamble Oak? <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just don't hunt in Gamble Oak country that much. <laughs> okay. You know, okay. Um, yeah. but, but Gamble Oak would uh, that gives a nice burn time. Does it? You know? Long, yeah. smooth. Yeah, long, hot. smooth, yeah. hot. Yeah. Hardwood is definitely, if you can find it, that's the way to go. We had a wood-burning stove in my cabin uh, when I was a kid, and, you know, we were cutting pine. Basically, for most of our residency there and you know we'd get the wood stove up to like you know 350 maybe and it would be hot but then we started buying aspen and we could get that thing up to like five six hundred degrees in there so any any hardwood that you can find is going to be awesome um okay apple's nice too but i don't hunt in the apple wood areas no no not at all in the apple forest (laughs) Um, <clears throat> Owen, you got any other common questions that you've been hearing recently? Well, I mean, at the time of this podcast, which was it, July 28th, um, lead times for Cimarron's and Redcliffs, the two door versions, the standards is down to two to four weeks, which we're, I think all super stoked on, uh, four person teepees as well down to two, four weeks. All other products are still six to eight weeks. Um, Otherwise, you know, I think that's probably the bigger question we get. It's coming up to hunting season. Everybody's getting ready. Some people forgot to buy a tent. And I think if you need one, Redcliffe, Cimarron, or four-person teepee, go ahead and get that guy. you get it in time. So otherwise, I think we're uh, we're pretty set there. Yeah. And give us a call. You know, there's always certain circumstances that we may be able to help. and But, you know, there's... It's tough to guarantee things at this point with yep. shipping and all that stuff. Yep. So if you're looking for archery season for a tent, put it in now. <laughs> put it in now. <laughs> exactly. It's coming put it, around put the it in two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, put it in. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, like I said, guys, you know, if you have any more questions, be sure to email us. You can call us. You can DM us on social media, any of that stuff. We'd like to start doing this often. So, um if you have any questions, whether it's product related or even just anything that has to do with Seek Outside, if you got in adventure questions, um, write us in. We might be able to help you out. Yeah. But um, Kevin, Owen, thank you guys so much for answering the question. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you.